The growing calls across the nation to defund the police. To end policing as we know it. Off the charts violence in New York City. 11 people shot in just eight hours on this is Sunday. About the police officers, officers who every single day put on that uniform and they run towards danger when we run away from it. What's up, Kenny up. Welcome to Failure to Stop Podcast Channel, the number one channel where police meet society and culture. I am your host, Eric Tansy, with the beautiful, the sleazy, the easy, the breezy, Drew Breezy, also the host of Comp, Comp Center. Center. John Bates, which is a phenomenal show. But if you're tuning in for the first time, this is the Failure to Stop Podcast channel. There's not a lot of channels out there. And what channel means is that we provide five different styles of show every single week. Every Monday, if you're into comedy, cop comedy, uh, we have Jade Durrell White, who is a comedian, uh, former police officer, now comedian, who breaks down uh, jovially if that's a word, police-related news. So uh, like pedophile of the week, dumbest criminal of the week, things like that to, to get you in the mood for policing for the week, but also keeping it lighthearted and funny and putting out there what kind of dumb criminals are doing what. And it's just a fun, a great show. Again, this is all geared towards first responders and keep them entertained throughout the week. Tuesday night, we have Night Shift, which is a little bit more serious. We do true crime a little differently. Andrea does a lot of time of not just storytelling, but really deep diving um, <clears throat> these true crime episode saying which uh where people got it right where people may have gotten it wrong and she really brings the totality of some of these true crime incidents uh to the forefront and it's a very interesting show uh and and it's coupled with my reactions as a former police officer so that makes it a little bit more interesting as well wednesdays uh you have uh last call with myself and um Dead leg, we break down all the other news so that cops and first responders have something else to talk about over the weekend other than dead babies and domestic violence, keeping everybody well-rounded about what's going on in the real world and not just first responder life. So if that's your cup of tea, chime on in. It gets a little bit political, a little bit funky, a little bit weird. And it's, it's a good time there. And then Thursday's Com Center, horrific 911 audio. Uh, just, you know, they play these cases that uh, they play the 911 audio from the cases. They break it down. They deep dive it. Uh, they have wild guests on that that have uh, that break through these cases and it's just phenomenal show. Um, and so uh, that's just exciting for everyone. And then of course our Friday breakdown, which is our flagship show where we try to kind of balance law enforcement and civilians and try to bring the police perspective to a lot of these cases. And we really, truly, if you go back and listen to our other episodes, we really unbiasedly break these cases down. We tell you what mainstream media says, Fox news and CNN news. We tell you, uh, we, but we, what we do is we let you know what they say. And then we bring you the actual truth. So if Fox news said there was enough fentanyl to kill 400 elephants. CNN says there was zero fentanyl. We actually go and look at the toxicology report. We break it down what it actually means so that you have the totality and you can make an actual informed opinion on the case which is kind of what we're going to do here today uh we are breaking down the daniel holtz call case which might be i mean i can't say that it's the most serious case because we've done some serious ones george floyd we've had sergeant mattingly from the Breonna taylor case on he's the man who, who shot and killed Breonna taylor we've had him on that was a pretty serious show we've had uh, a man who was uh, the child victim, the childhood victim of a, a satanic sex cult where horrific things were done to him. Uh, what a bizarre episode. What, you know, we've done the, the Denny Perkins case, which is serious. So I don't know that this is the most serious case that we've ever done, Drew. Uh, but I will say that this is a case that's 
very important. We've spent a lot of time working on it, and this has been a couple of weeks in the making. Uh, and this is a show about did he rape some? Is he a serial rapist? Is he completely innocent? Um, there's a lot to to break down in this particular episode, and we're not going to do it in one episode. This is going to take a couple of episodes because this is such an important case going forward. It, it really is the perfect storm, if you will. This is what can happen and has happened to many cops around the country, but this one is actually on a scale that we haven't seen before. And a lot of people shockingly don't know this story, Drew. Is that shocking to you at all? It, was, it, it is kind of shocking to me. Uh, only, uh, or wait, it would be contradictory if I said it was shocking to me because I didn't know a whole lot about it until you brought it up to me probably at the end of last year. You, you told me that you had this case in the back of your mind that you can kind of just get a general feel that this guy is probably not guilty, but he was sentenced to 263 years in prison. And I, I did a little preliminary research way back when, but we kind of just kept putting it on the back burner. And then, uh, then it just started bubbling over to the forefront. We, you know, even with our, uh, with my most recent, like the updated interview with Sergeant Mattingly, I did because the focus on that was not necessarily just the Breonna Taylor case. It was about prosecutorial misconduct. It was about agencies leaving you hanging out to dry. And it was about, you know, uh, the profession being bled of good officers because of, you know, administrative weenies for lack of a better term or people that are kowtowing to, uh, to being called a racist when you're not actually a racist. And in this case, Daniel Holdsclaw is potentially being called a rapist when he's not even a rapist. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not saying that definitively because I don't have all of the evidence, but everything I've seen coupled with my 20 year, 29 years in, in uh, law enforcement, uh, I have 10 years teaching interviews and interrogations. Um, and uh, I just, uh, I, I have a PhD from Sidewalk U. Uh, it's, uh, to me, it's just kind of lending to the fact that this guy didn't commit any crimes, that he's kind of railroaded. There are very few, I have, I have a lot of defense attorney friends that, that were either former defense attorneys or current defense attorneys or whatever. One of them, uh, who, who is now a judge, by the way, uh, said something to me one time that was so poignant. He said, you know what, I've defended probably 200 clients, and I think that there was only two that I could say were innocent. The other were just the other the others were just I was just shooting for not guilty. Mm. Uh, I think that's the case in 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 this situation, and and we'll just we'll we'll lay it out. We'll just make the facts, just like you say. You know, Fox says uh, there's X amount of fentanyl, and CNN says there was no fentanyl. In this case, we're going to go out. We're actually going to inject fentanyl. <laughs> right. Uh, and so, it, you know, because we were two former officers and you might be tuning into the show because simply of the title, Daniel Holtzclaw, and you might be thinking to yourself, wow, these guys are definitely going to be bleeding blue and taking the blue side. Like we hate nothing more than bad cops. I know that it probably doesn't mean much to you, uh, but we're not cops anymore. I own a distillery. Um, and, and so, you know, I don't really have any skin in the game anymore. I live in the middle of nowhere where I have no contact with police officers. So, I have no reason to take this guy's case, but I want to go back to where I first heard about this case. And I want you, you folks to know that are just tuning in for the first time. Uh, this is a podcast community. Uh, we're over 4.5 million downloads at this point. We have a paid YouTube membership. We have paid Patreon. We thank you for all of our supporters that, that make this 
possible and this happened. Uh, today's show is brought to you by our, one of our main advertisers, ghostbed.com, uh, where you can get you a nice, good bed at ghostbed.com forward slash Wolfpack. Sleep so good, it's scary. Ad read to follow later on in the episode, foreshadowing. But uh, we are a podcast community. We do address the chats from time to time. We do answer questions. We do other deep dives on Patreon. So if you want a little bit extra content on this, if you want to get with us on social media because you disagree, you don't have to pay to do that. You can send us a, a message. Um, if you like what we're doing, if you appreciate what we're doing, go leave us a five-star rating or review. That helps us out a lot. You could subscribe. You could easily just hit the subscribe and like button for all the time and effort that we put into this. But, um, you know, what we do here is literally just trying to keep first responders entertained throughout the week uh without making them feel like necessarily that they're first responders so uh this case what's that and sticking up for the little guy to be honest uh i think that that's yeah. uh, that's important in the profession yeah i think it is it, it, we, we, that was why this show started three years ago was because one side of the story was being told and and it was being told by political police officers meaning officers that had an agenda and officers that wanted to get promoted, officers that want to write a book, officers that want to be in the limelight, they want to make a name for themselves on social media. So they're out there doing what all these other uh, nonsense celebrity style, I, I don't even want to call them journalists because they're not. They're just trying to use catchy taglines to make news and make headlines for themselves. And, and so the, the story of police officers was being told by these political police officers with all the gold and ribbons and the badges that are getting to go on CNN and Fox News and represent all of us as a whole. And that's, that's not true. They're not the representation of what no. real cops are like. Um, and so there was just no voice for out there. And then the drinking bros network, um, you know, they were reluctant to say like, Hey, we see a need in this. And we want to hire you guys. And, and we spent, you know, our first year working for them. And that was great, but that's what the show is for. So if you're tuning in for the first time, hold tight and listen to it objectively, but listen, like we're adults here. We're going to talk like adults. I'm not going to like say the R word. Okay. It's not going to happen. Right. We're, we're all adults. We're not going to be mean, uh, but we're, we're going to be blunt and we're going to be frank and we're going to generalize. We're going to generally speak. I'm not going to sit here and waste time dancing around political correctness. It's just not going to happen. So if you're an adult, if you can handle it, if you, if you want to have conversations in the chats and you want to ask adult questions, you know, go for it and let's have an adult discussion. This case was brought to me um, on accident in 2014. I had been a, a pretty new recent cop, but I had been working in the hood for quite some time. And when I say the hood, I mean the very inner city. If I said I worked in the trailer parks, I'd call it the trailer parks. Okay. I don't know. I'm not going to call it the inner city because that doesn't paint you a picture of where I worked. I worked in the hood, shotgun houses. What's a shotgun house? What's a nasty, dirty, infest, roach infested, rat infested house that smells like urine um, and, and burnt cocaine and they're gross and you want to take a bath every time you go in there and it's every other house in the neighborhoods that I worked in. Um, I worked in a very predominantly black neighborhood. I, I, I could probably name four white people that lived in the neighborhoods that, that I, that I worked in it just they just they didn't exist not because i was racist it's just they didn't live there that's where i was stationed to be that's where i was placed by the department to work that particular neighborhood um it, it, crime was just out of control in the neighborhood that i worked for it accounted for over 70 percent of the crime in the entire city it was all done in the span of about 12 blocks um, and, and so this particular story is in the same type of area that I worked. And that is an area that we refer to as the hood or the South side, South side, Chicago, 
I don't know if this was Southside, Oklahoma, but I work Southside. What did you call the hood where you worked? Suitcase City, uh, and we were banned from from using that term after a while. It, it was suitcase called Suitcase City. Uh, yeah, Suitcase Why City was it because it was Suitcase City because it was such a transient area. There were there was uh, and not transient as in. Eric Transy, but it was transient in the sense that uh, nobody really uh, lived there for any length of time, uh, or or if they did, they just moved from apartment to apartment until you know they were evicted. Uh, the VA was centered there, so there was a lot of halfway houses, and there were a lot of mental health institutions. The university was there, so there was a lot of transient um, students that came and went, and. Uh, as they came back, the crime rate would go up because it's a new pool of victims every year. So it was called Suitcase City, basically, because people just kind of lived out of suitcases. It, it later turned into the university community area, which is a more, <laughs> uh, I guess, a more politically correct term. Yeah, and I don't know what the political term would have been uh, for Rob. It's just been called Southside. We, we also called it the box, though, and it's still called the box. But in, in people think that that's a derogatory term, but it's not. It's an actual box. It, it's four major cro- uh, roads that form a literal box. So right. we called it the box. OK, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, you're you're fine. Um, I called it the hood, <laughs> but we I think politically speaking, we called it like Southeast Raleigh, right? Like we just called it South Raleigh. I don't know what they call it in Oklahoma, but for the sake of today's, I think it paints a clear picture to our audio listeners if we just call it the hood. Um, and I'm sorry if you're offended by that. I, I really am. But uh, I think it paints a picture. And that's what's most important here is that that we paint a picture for you that you can understand, because if we don't paint the picture accurately, then what happens in this case happens in a lot of cases. And if you're a true crime fan, which we have a lot of true crime fans here, Andre and I go back and forth on this all the time is that there's so many true crime stories out there that paint a false picture yeah, and they don't give the totality of the picture. Remember when we broke down the gentleman, uh, Mr. Penny, who choked the guy out on the subway, right? It paints a much bigger picture when we tell the story of the man that got choked to death, when we tell the story of his mother being murdered. But, but when we paint the whole picture, it allows you to have an opinion that's not based in fear. It's not based in anger or emotion, but in facts and in understanding. And that's what's important is that we form uh, theories on these cases, not out of emotion, um, but out of understanding. And, and I think that's very important. And so today, uh, the first episode <clears throat> series, uh, chapter one of this case is, is in order to understand this case, you have to understand a couple of different cultures. One, you have to understand hood culture and you have to understand police culture. And so I guess we'll start with police culture. Should we start there? Or should we start with hood culture? Which one would you we should start, start with? We, either or they're going to inter, intersperse, intermingle. I, I just, I, I would like to point out, l- let me simplify this even further. You've done a great job at simplifying it. Let me sim- simplify it even further. It's two white guys on here talking about quote the hood. This is exactly what I'm talking about. Every, America is too afraid of the two white guys saying the hood because it, it might be con- uh, perceived as racist. Uh, I no longer give a fuck if it's perceived as racist. I know what's in my heart and I know that I'm not a racist one Two, do you know who else calls it the hood, Eric, the people in the fucking hood. All right. 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 Like we write songs about it. Yeah. So how about we just (laughs) quit playing games, quit quit, uh, pretending we're offended and attacking the white guys just because we're low hanging fruit and easy targets to say, well, obviously you're a racist. Obviously you're a sexist. Obviously you're a homophobe, homophobe. I'm none of the above. I'm just some dude with a, I happen to have a microphone, but 
anybody else can start a podcast as well. So right. have yeah. it. <clears throat> and nothing that I say is meant to be mean. Again, no. I'm not trying to be mean about saying that. I'm just trying to paint you a picture. So let's go ahead and begin. Well, we'll start we'll talking about the hood. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about hood culture. So, uh, well, no, I want to go back to being the police culture. <laughs> so it's, 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 <laughs> right. yeah, we'll, we'll go back to the hood in a minute. So uh, police culture, there's uh, people join the police department. Now, listen, guys, this is a three chapter series. So in order to know the totality of this, you have to listen to this episode first, or you will not understand the rest of the trial. And this is a jury should have to do this. I think that if you're a jury, you should have to do a ride along in whatever area the crime was committed that you are being a jury. So they can see the totality of the area. If the crime was committed in a trailer park, let's do a ride along with officers in trailer parks so we can see how trailer parks work. If it's done in a, in a very nice and affluent neighborhood, let's do ride alongs there so we can understand the neighborhood and the people that are being worked in that neighborhood and the culture of the police in that area, because it is completely, completely different in every area. And so what I mean by this guys is that there are cops that join police departments. This is going to be a shocker for you that have different goals and ambitions in life. All right. There are people who join to the, people don't just sign up very rarely. Do they sign up to be cops because they want to actually be a police officer wearing the standard uniform with the tie and, and going around working domestics, getting puked on, pissed on shit on uh, pulling over DUIs. No, they have, they have an, a goal in mind. They want to work with dogs. They want to be a canine cop. They want to be a detective. They want to be a homicide detective, a juvenile detective. They want to mediate families. They want to be the scruff drug McDuff dog uh, in costume at the football games. They want to be the cop that's looking pretty and nice at the football games that guides you to your seat or make sure that there's no shooting. They want to be a school resource officer to touch little kids. <laughs> that sounds terrible to That's reach terrible. out to little kids yeah, to be a part of their life the kids out of it. Yeah. Let's leave. Yeah, uh, I really did not mean to say it like that, <laughs> uh, but you know, people become cops for different reasons. Uh, and so when you become, when you go to an Academy and you're getting selected by a cop, they're going to send you to a side of town that best fits your personality. If you are a scared and timid cop, you are not going to go to the South side. Hey, hey, let me let me interject here, because I've been saying this for years and I don't know, uh, you know, no, no one's uh, I'm not lament. I'm not whining about this. No one's listening to what I'm saying. Uh, maybe they will now that I have a microphone like I just referred to a minute ago. It is an institutional problem within law enforcement to send the A go getters or B um, Let's let's uh, what what how can how can I the, the getter duns we'll call them into those neighborhoods when you send them into the hood when you send those cops it's an institutional problem every agency does it what's the by the way like if there's a shift bid in, in your agency like you can you can bid to what squad what shift or whatever when there's no place left to go. What what do you think is open? What do you think the open sheet is? It's the hood. The hood Nobody wants to sure. work there because you're not appreciated. No matter what your intentions or your motives are when, you are when you get into this profession, from an altruistic standpoint, it's just like being a pilot. You have to love to fly. In law enforcement, you have to love to help, and you have to understand that sometimes you are not welcome where you need to help people the most. So you need your Eric Tanzies who have the thickest skin, uh, and by the way, who is just a go-getter who doesn't, who, who can let the, let the stuff just kind of fly off his back. 
and go out there and protect people and serve people and stop cars and arrest people and not worry about the bullshit. What we do though, is we put sometimes the worst of the worst into the hood because it's not the cushiest of, of assignments. You know, working a midnight shift in the box is not, not the, the most glamorous position in the world because you're going to have a call, a page full of calls holding at all times. But we do this constantly and we leave you, Eric Tanzi, on the South side for five or six or seven years and your callus develops and it just keeps hardening and hardening and hardening. And then all of a sudden you beat the shit out of somebody or somebody makes an allegation that you rape them and you wonder why you look at the detective when it's time and say, you have no fucking earthly idea what I've been through over the last five years. You don't know shit about law enforcement. You don't know shit about shit. So that's my whole thing. We we sent we institutionally in law enforcement, we keep people in the hood way too long. We do. Um, And and, and listen, once you've worked the hood, you really don't want to go work somewhere else until you have to go work somewhere else. Um, The last three months of my time in service as a police officer, I got to work the college campus. And that was the only time I left the hood. And I I was shocked. I was like, wow, you guys get paid the same as me. (laughs) And this is what you do all day. Like, this is amazing. Like, this is great. Like, dude, every case is a helpful case. You know, like maybe they want to trespass somebody off the college campus or, you know, maybe somebody's dorm room is locked and they need somebody to bust the lock on it, or they locked their keys in their car. And you're like, dude, this is awesome. Like I've helped like six people today. This is great. You know, but where's you go into the hood? It's 25 calls. That, that all make you have like these long hour long reports that are stressful to write. You're trying to remember and you're trying to articulate what they were meaning to say, because what they were saying is this, that, the third blase, blase, motherfucker. You know what I mean? It's like, well, how do you write that in a report to not make people take this? Like, how do you write that so that a detective will take them seriously? Like, this is what they said, but that's not what they meant. What they meant was they got raped, yeah. you know? Right. Um, and, and so, you know, it, there's a lot of problem solving that goes on in the inner city. And, and um, you know, a lot of self policing as well. A, a lot, lot of self. Yeah. Like it, so, so, so we're not necessarily welcome in all investigations, but it's a last resort for them to call us. But the person that called us is the only one that wants us there. Everybody else does not want us there. So you, you're right. You have to be, be uh, really uh, resourceful and inventive in how you're going to solve this problem because taking someone to jail isn't always going to be the solution in this situation. And, 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 you know, like the juvenile capacity that goes on in the hood, um, you know, uh, there's a lot more juvenile crimes going on in the hood than there are in other, you know, it's like you don't go to the college campus and deal with juveniles. It just doesn't exist there because they're all college age kids, but in the hood, there is a lot of kids. And so, you know, being up and savvy on juvenile crime, which is completely different than adult crime. Um, that's a problem solving in itself. You know, you have search warrants to write, you know, good luck writing a search warrant on college campus. And if you do, it's going to be for some drug related search warrant that doesn't really need to be done right this second. And you can consult with uh, drugs and vice and the DA, and you can go back to an air conditioned room and write this out and have people grade it and protect it and check it and spell check it and grammar and all all the things. And then you can get with a SWAT team and you can go serve a warrant in the hood. It doesn't work that way in the hood. Everything needs to be done right now. So you might be writing that same type of search warrant in your car at 106 degrees outside with your air conditioner on full blast, but you're still wearing all your body armor and everything else. Plus you're trying to like hide down in your car, your target fixated on the computer screen, trying to type out as fast as you can 
and not sound like a complete dumbass with spelling and grammatical errors, you know, because you need to serve a search warrant right now. That doesn't have anything to do with drugs. It might have to do with, you know, you know, a murder case or a stabbing case or whatever. Um, so there's just so much that goes on in the hood and there are many types of cops. And I want to, talk about cop culture is that you have a cop that I like to call, um, what do I like to call him? Drew? I like to call him officer be good or, um, yeah. I, I can't remember your term. Yeah. I, I mean, I have a term in my book that I call him uh, officer by the book is what I call him in the book. It's the professional police poisoning the profession. Wait, sure. Is that how it goes? Sure. So yeah, the political, uh, the, the police, political police that are poisoning the profession. No, but we have the officer by the book and you need those cops, uh, right? But, the, book, but it's yeah. a culture and officer by the books are usually in these, these areas where they can be by the book. They can be in the nicer neighborhoods. They can be on the college campuses. They can be in the rural areas where they can check the, the policies where they have time to say, well, let's look at the policy. Let's look at the law. Let's see what the statute says. Let's, phone a friend and those are cops that have that luxury a lot of your street cops are not officer by the books because they don't get an opportunity time doesn't present itself in a way that they're allowed to phone a friend or they're allowed to see they have to go off the seat of their cup they're like okay i don't know if i can go in this house right now by the book or by the law and i don't have any backup but this motherfucker with a gun just ran in the back door of it and he just robbed a store over there so i'm gonna kick this door in and I'm going to go get to work on this guy inside of a house. I don't know if I'm supposed to have a search warrant first. I don't know. But yeah. like my gut's telling me I need to go get this guy right now. Whereas, that's, you know, that's he, an amazing. Go ahead. Go no, ahead. No, no. Go ahead. It, listen, that's an amazing point, Eric. And I think it's important that everybody understands this. Um, th there are like procedures. There, there's, you know, Fourth Amendment. There's case law. Like everybody. This is my uh, uh, kind of throw down when somebody tells me that police need more accountability. So do we need more accountability than the constitution, than the state, sta than federal statute, federal codes, state statutes, consent decrees, sometimes departmental policies, county agency codes, um, the, the, uh, the rule of the streets that we have to follow well, this goes on the, the DA proceeding, uh, the DA procedures of what they would like to see to be able to put a case forward, Supreme court rulings, general, you know, you got to know the levels of probable cause, reasonable suspicion, when you can hold somebody, when you can't, and you'll get some, some family member or some, uh, neighbor that's like, Hey, um, that guy over there has uh, an antenna that's 11 feet tall and he's pointing it in my direction uh, every night. And I think that's illegal. So can you go arrest him or whatever? Fuck. I don't know antenna statutes. I, I don't even, I barely <laughs> even know what, I, I couldn't even tell you what the speeding fines are. Like, you know, people are like, is that illegal? Is that illegal? Fuck. I don't know. So what you're expecting cops to know is this huge statute book with every single statute in it. But just like Eric said, how important this is, you're chasing a guy into a house. You see him throw something. It may or may not be a gun. Do you have the right to chase into the house after him? Are you thinking, is this his house? Maybe it isn't his house. Are the people in there in danger? Was that a gun he threw? Was it dope he threw? Was it a cell phone he threw, which is completely legal? And you're having to make these decisions in a split second. And the split second comes down to, do I live or die? Or do I... Uh, am I going to be indicted or <laughs> am I going to get a successful prosecution? It's a very fine line to walk and or run when you're doing it at 200 miles an hour. 
Take it it's, away, Eric. It's insane. An officer by the books will often come down to the inner cities for brief times for whatever reason, um, and they will completely ruin life down there for everybody else that's been been doing it. And they'll call them corrupt cops. They'll say that they're um, and you know that there's anarchy going on in the hood with these cops, and that the cop culture is terrible, and there's policies being broken everywhere. And let me give you an example. We had an officer by the book showed up to the south side of Raleigh, and he attempted to pull a car over that had violent felony warrants and you can chase for violent felony warrants however we have a no chase policy that is very very difficult to navigate and so you know rule of thumb is just don't chase them like i mean unless like unless you know they're about to go murder somebody else don't chase them because there's way more chance of you getting fired um not just suspended but fired for chasing somebody then then you have of doing any kind of good um and so we really just don't chase anybody so he lights this car up this officer by the book and the guy runs and so the officer by the book pulls over and does everything exactly by the book turns his lights off gets on the radio says i light a car up it ran i am now sitting at the corner blah 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 my gps says this that and this i have my camera on and i am going to wait here for approximately two minutes before i begin to move down the road um and so, you know, he does this and then he leaves and he goes down the road and sees the car that he just lit up at a gas station and a man pumping gas in it. And the officer by the book pulls his car over and he gets on the radio and explains all of this over the airwaves that he is now seeing the car and he's waiting for further instruction. While meanwhile, a Southeast Raleigh unit not a by the book was in the area looking for this guy sees him rushes in makes the arrest at the gas pump and the other officer by the book does not leave his position across the street in fact he gets on the radio and holds up radio traffic explaining that he is not involved in any way shape or form in the arrest and the officer makes the arrest and the officer is extremely upset why would you sit across the street and not come over here and help me make the arrest and he says well i was going through policy because the policy isn't clear on what to do if you see a car after you've already been in a chase with it okay the officer was awarded was was uh put on the accommodation of making the arrest of this violent felon who was on a, a felony warrant top 10 list. So the officer that actually made the arrest and the officer that sat across the street and did buy the books, both got the same yeah. reward, the same award, the Paper accommodation yeah. Yeah. for doing two different things. So officer by the books thinks that he's done the right thing, but the story that officer by the book tells other people is that well, when he's yelling, the, the other officer is yelling at him is the officer by the book gets defensive and says, well, you're lawless and you're just rampant. Well, everybody at the Southeast was mad at this officer. Like, dude, what were you thinking? Are you like, that was your excuse that you were trying to look at policy and not erasing a violent felon who fucked up like multiple people. And, and you like, you're more focused on the book and what the book says. Well, he went and made hostile work environment complaints and, and, and came out that that we're lawless and we're out of control and we violate policy. And and we, and so an investigation gets launched and a whole bunch of things happen to have this investigation you know that that officers are being audited and 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 there's a lot of stuff and it was you know three months of us not really doing a lot of proactive police work because you know we're being accused of all these other things so there is a huge so in and eric to to piggyback so and i hate when people say that so to 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 make it clear to the the people on the outside of the profession you 
Uh, I, I'm not saying it was you. And, and oh, uh, by the but, way, there's a lot of chat right now that says, was it Officer Tansy who made this arrest? No, it was not. I was not okay, so, the officer that made this so arrest. So the officer I wasn't arrest- a part of this. I only was uh, there for the locker room fight, banter. not fight, but argument afterwards. The officer that risked his or her hide to make the arrest and the officer across the street who was digging into a policy to make sure that it was okay to make an arrest on a felon, um, both got the same commendation as you say. Now, what the what what the administration sees is, wow, uh, Officer A is. Eh, I mean, they're good. They're pretty good. They're a good street cop. They put handcuffs on people. This guy got this got an accommodation for that violent felony arrest, and he digs into policies, and he's into policy and procedure, and he knows his policy and procedure. He knows when to say when, at least. Because they're missing that part of the story. And most of the time, by the way, the administrators are the policy guys. They're not the street cops. Well, this this officer by the book is now currently a head detective. And I I will let you know that I have I've written about this guy in my book. But I mean, mean, this dude was the worst cop by worst cop. I mean, like he just couldn't get anything right uh, ever. Um, matter of fact, going back on the street, you'll appreciate this story, but it was, uh, he worked on a drug project only for a week before we kicked him out of it. And then, you know, he was, again, he had kind of like infiltrated into our world. And, and so we had a car and, and he just done a heroin deal. It was my third heroin deal of the night that I had caught. Um, and so he was one of the takedown units and we had a, we had a way we would do a fake traffic stop at one end of the road so that when the people would leave the neighborhood, they would say like, well, there's a cop that's on a traffic stop to the right. So naturally that would take them to the left and then you know as they went to the left there was no other turns or anything to the left it was just a straight road and then you could wait for them to get two or three four miles down the road and they had nowhere to go and then you could pull them over and stop them and then they would never get back to the house that you're watching so it was really a perfect setup the only thing was is that when you made that first left there was a red light or a yellow light to go left or right so, they, you know, if it was a, a, a red light, great, because then they would see all the blue lights and then they would sit at that red light and that would give, you know, an officer time for me to give out the, the description and everything like yeah. that. And then that person would make the left and he would know he's coming. So it was really a great setup. Well, officer by the book um, noticed that it was a yellow light. And so on one of our heroin deals, the only one that it was his turn to do the takedown on, he didn't get the takedown because he caught the yellow light. There's no such thing as good. You don't catch a yellow light. Right. He says, well, the light had hit yellow. And so I stopped before it turned red. I caught the yellow light. And after that, I couldn't catch up to him because he was too far ahead. So he wasn't willing to run a, a red light, which you're allowed to do. You're a police he officer. Yes, he wasn't. And he wasn't willing to speed, which you're allowed to do, to catch yes. up to the suspect after he stopped at the red light. So this was kind of what officer by the books do, and they don't they they don't solve crimes. But now officer by the books absolutely hate officers that aren't necessarily against the books, but officers that are willing to run the red light, that are willing to speed to yeah. go catch down the, the, the suspect or the guy. Um, officer by the books aren't the ones that are going to race up and down the highway to try to find uh, the, uh, the Amber Alert. Right, right. So when well, you I have these, this culture... Good. This culture comes into play. Um, they're always going to butt heads, and and the honestly, the officer by the book is always the one that's going to want to prove himself. It's never the street cop. The real street cop is never trying to prove himself to the by the book. Doesn't care about the by the book. Often doesn't know his name. But the by the book is always trying to prove that the street cop is wrong and bad. 
it's it's in the hood eric there's a code um and it's general it's this is definitely painting with broad strokes it's not this way in every case and i i used to take every case you know case by case obviously in a high percentage though when you show up to the scene as a supervisor in the hood and there's somebody screaming and yelling loudly uh, i know it's a matter of time before the deputy figures out that's the person responsible for just about everything. That is the person that is responsible. So when somebody is bl- clanging the symbols, yelling, yeah. screaming, Loudest y'all are racist, doing all this, it was them. They were the cause of what, what you're there for, whether it was the domestic or the, yeah. the little bike theft or whatever it was, whoever's making the most noise is trying to distract you from actually what's happening. So the natural talent of the normal police officer that just, you know, d- isn't afraid of a red light here and there or just uh, will snatch somebody up in the gas station that has to be overshadowed by look at me, look at me. I was looking in my book. I was looking in my book. Uh, and, and we still caught him and we still caught him. So look how dirty he is and look how clean I am. And we still ended up with the same result. It's the same concept. It's, right. it's the same thing. So in, yeah. and, and one thing I want to add before I forget, we all, we always say there's nothing worse than a dirty cop. There's nothing, nothing a good cop hates more than a, than a bad cop. Well, in this case, in this Daniel Holtz claw case, I want you to tell me who the bad cop is. I, I just, just because you're a detective series. and and you're, you know, you ride in on your white horse and you, you're in a position of power and you're, you're in a position to make somebody cower in the corner. That doesn't make you a good cop. It, it doesn't necessarily yeah, I think, mean I that think you're when right. you see, when you see the real policy, like the real tactical um, mistakes that were made in this investigation, I think that will be a fun thing to do at the end. And we'll do a poll at the end on our social media webs is uh, who was actually the bad cop. Now let's talk about uh, street cops for a minute, because I was a street cop. Uh, Drew was on the other end of life. He was a detective. So we have a little bit of both going back and forth. He can give his insight and I can give my, my insight, but uh, uh, street cops are problem solvers. And we're going to do things uh, unconventionally to solve problems. What do I mean by that is I have literally put a murder suspect in my car without searching him and let him sit in the front seat while he had a gun on him and he just murdered somebody. I didn't know that, but I saw a gentleman walking down the road in the wrong side of the town. It was and by wrong side of the town. I don't mean segregation. I mean, he was bloods and he was on the crip side. And so I said, well, that guy is going to be a victim here shortly. I'm going to make him get into my cop car uh, in lack of a better word to get him out of here. And so I pulled over and I said, yo, homie, you can't be on this side of the town. What are you doing over here? And he's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm going back to my side. I'm going back to my side. I'm good. I'm good. I said, dude, get in the cop car. I'll take you out of this neighborhood and I'll drop you off before we get to your hood. And that way nobody sees you with the cops, but I can't let you walk down this sidewalk right now because you and I both know what's going to happen. He's like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I'm like, bro, get in the car. Let's go. Like you sit in front. I'm not going to pat you down. Not going to search you. Like, there's no bullshit. Like, I don't want to clean up your, I don't want to clean you up off the streets. Yeah. He's you're like, going to create work for me. He, he's like, all right, all right, I got you. I got you. And he gets in the, 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 the hood of my car because I mean, in the front seat of my car. Now the policy is you don't allow anybody into your car without a pat down. You don't allow anybody into your cop car without handcuffs. And you don't allow anybody to sit in the front seat of your car. That's our policy. 
But I was like, well, if I go by that policy, this man will not get in my car. And if he does not get in my car, there's a high percent chance he will be uh, violently executed by a drive-by shooting or he will get in an altercation to where he shoots somebody. But bad, violent shit will happen if this man does not get in my car. And so I broke the policy and allowed him into the seat of my car, at which time we made a stop and he threw a gun. And then I had to make a very quick arrest and then only to find out that he had just murdered somebody on that side of town minutes before he got into my car. So the officer by the books had a great time with this. You know, you could have killed yourself. You could have been killed because you didn't do policy. You could have done this. I'm guilty, guilty of all things. But my intent was to save somebody's life, a piece of shit's life at that, a gang member who has probably done nothing good for the community. My intuition, my, my goal when I first saw this man was that's a man that's going to be violently uh, assaulted if he doesn't get in my car and I wanted to help him. And, right. and that's just our instincts as cops. And, and so we broke the policy and bad things happen. And I could go on and on about some really crazy stories about when I didn't follow policy and the reasons why I didn't follow policy. Uh, I have access uh, still to this day. I'll be really frank. And this is going to play into this case here shortly is that uh, Facebook, right? If we have somebody with warrants, we're going to get creative on how to find them. I even had a fake Facebook profile and I friended <laughs> lots of people and my face, my fake Facebook profile. I was a, a very large black female with big tits. <laughs> That's what my Facebook profile was. And I had like, I don't know, 1,200 followers all from the hood that thought I was some fat, voluptuous, you know, halfway pretty black female. I just friend requested somebody named Anita Mann that you're describing. Yeah. Is that you? That's me. Yeah. Yeah. And I had this profile for a long time and I, and I would stir the pot sometimes because I knew that if I could stir the pot, then the person that chimed in would be the dude that has the gun. So if I say something stupid and this guy comes back at me, if I say something pro crypt and the first comment is the one dude, then I know that that's the guy that was charged. So I, I would manipulate Facebook in my own way to solve my own crimes in my own area or to learn about my area. I did the same thing with Snapchat and everything else. Now I did run into women and men who were in need of officers and extra cooker. And I friended them on my personal Facebook, not often, but sometimes I did. And I'll tell a story that I've never told. I mean, I might've told it in passing for, for educational purposes, but I never told this story mainly because the officer that I was with made me promise I would never tell the story, but I think it's been enough years since that, it, that the story doesn't make sense, that, that it doesn't really matter. Nobody would pick who it is, but we had a known prostitute in, in our area and she was a foul and disgusting prostitute. And by foul and disgusting, I mean, when you searched her, you could turn her pocket inside out and cockroaches would come out of her pocket. That's that there hot. was a swarm of gnats around her constantly. And you always wonder, you always ask yourself, how does this person be a prostitute and make money? Because I won't even shake her hand because she is that dirty and gross. I could not imagine wanting to get my Peter sucked by a woman who has cockroaches calling out of her pocket. And the smell, her, her smell of street odors and urine is intense. And I don't know which man can get a boner um, under those circumstances. It's just foul and gross. And we spent a lot of years uh, arresting this woman for multiple things and, and multiple problems. And one day I, I had her in my car and she wasn't high as she usually is. And when I mean high, she would walk around like a zombie, man, like the, the you know, like and I had her one time and she wasn't like that. And I, I asked her questions about her, her life and I'd never seen her anywhere 
but a certain corner for years, the same corner every day walking around. I've caught her sucking dick behind this same fence. 10 times. And by the way, the people who pay for these prostitutes aren't white lawyers as the movies would portray. They're not white, rich businessmen as the movie would portray. They're fat, overweight, other homeless black men. They're fat, overweight, uh, often in my area, black truckers um, that were just extremely overweight. Rarely did you find a skinny person with these street walking <laughs> prostitutes i'm, I'm gonna be or mexicans you know even it was the overweight fat already drunk mexicans but you never found like some good looking black man with these prostitutes or a good looking you know middle class black man a middle class white man a middle class hispanic it was always just some just disgusting fat overweight trucker or homeless man it was always a homeless. So, you know, and I would catch her w- with these men. And one day I, f- I have her in my cop car and I ask her questions. I said, well, where do you go? And she, she, I said, besides here, I've never seen you anywhere else. Like, where do you sleep? Where, when do you sleep? Well, like, what do you do? And she says, well, I go and see my daughter once a day. Mm. And I said, your daughter, where does your daughter stay? She says, my daughter stays at such and such address. And I said, well, who does she live with? And she said, she gives me a name. And I said, well, who is that? I said, what's their government name? And she said, I don't know his government name. I said, your daughter is living with a man. And your daughter is six years old. And you don't know the man's government name. And she says, no. I said, did you hook up with this man ever? She says, no. And I said, you've never fucked this guy. No. And he just has your kid. Yeah. Why does he have your kid? I don't know. Where did you meet him? Out here. Okay, what was he doing out here? Like, they're the only place out here is for is crack and prostitution. Why is he here? I don't know. Okay, wh- what is this address? Where does this guy live? So I'm mad. I'm mad. This is a pedophile for sure. And I drive to the house and I meet the man and he's old. The man's like 80 something years old. And I said, where is such and such? Where's this little girl at? And he says, she's right here. And I've never seen a little girl more afraid, more socially awkward than I'd met this girl. This girl was different. She didn't blink. She didn't talk. Uh, there was just a ghost. It was like, it was like she had no soul or no personality. And I said, okay. And I said, young lady, you have a seat right there. And I said, me and you, let's go where we can talk in private. And so she didn't want to be left alone in the house. So we brought her outside and had her sit on the steps and him walked around the side of the house. And I said, what is your deal? How do you know this woman? He says, well, I own a house over on that side of the street, on that side of town. I said, what's the address? He gives me the address. I said, okay, great. Why, why do you have a house over there? He says, well, I've owned it for 50 years. Okay, great. It was my mama's house, my grandmother's house. Okay, great. What is it now? It's a rental. Okay. And you live over here now? Yeah. Okay. Uh, What were you doing on that side of town when you met, you know, the prostitute in her name? And he says, well, she's there every day. She's been that she's been there for years. I said, yeah. And I said, you just decided one day you were going to talk to her. And he says, well, he says, yeah, she had a little girl with her. And I, I was, I was concerned about the little girl and I asked her about the little girl and she told me that she doesn't have, know who the father is and that blah, blah, blah. And he says, well, this little girl doesn't need to go out here. 
And she said, well, you got somewhere she can stay. And he said, uh, yeah. Now, mind you, this guy is like 85 years old. Like, I mean, old Drew. <laughs> this guy's not raping anybody. Very frail man. So he takes this little girl home and the little girl had been with him for four years. Mm. And I go and I, I talk to the little girl and I search. I asked, man, can I search your house? He says, well, I don't know what you're looking for, but go ahead. I knew this guy had to be a pedophile and there had to be something creepy going on. And I searched this house with this mindset that there's something wrong here. This isn't right. The house is clean. That's weird. <laughs> I'm not used to clean houses in the hood. <laughs> and I go through and I look through his drawers and his, his underwear is folded in such a way that I could tell he was ex-military. And I talked to him about his ex-military and he was, he was in, he was ex-military. I think he was a Korean war vet. And I want to say he was like Navy. And so I, I look through the house. I find nothing nefarious of any kind. No tobacco, no beer, no Bud Light, no laptops, no computers, just a typical, you know, Werther's original uh, little candies by the, by the, by the, by the, the thing that's in it. And a lot of little kids toys in the living room. That's it. So I asked this man about his wife. And I mean, I am just, I, I'm baffled by the whole thing. And I talk to the little girl and I, and, and I, and I hear her words. Now this is like right before this is like Thanksgiving ish timeframe. And so I, uh, I leave the house and I go back to my cop car and I get in my cop car. And at the time I had my son and I don't know what happened, Drew. I don't know what happened. It's never happened to me before. I shut the door and exploded in, in tears and I, cried and I cried and I couldn't stop crying. I was sniffling. I was choking on my own snot. I mean, just shattered. And I don't know what shattered me because I'd seen fucked up shit a lot, but I was broken. I was broken by the whole thing. And I wiped my tears and I drove away. And I was like, that is the most fucked up thing. I don't know what it is. There's got no crime. I've got no investigation. I've got nothing to go on. That is just fucked up. And the world is a fucked up place. I don't know where to school. I can't call DHS. What's DHS going to do? I don't know what DHS is going to do, but I don't trust them. I, I trust this guy because I've vetted him more than I trust what DHS is going to do. Our DPS to, to child protective service, CPS. Yeah. And so I, uh, I leave and, um, and I go about my day and I meet this SWAT officer and we kind of hang together and we get another call and, uh, and we take the call and everything. And I just ask him, I, I say afterwards and I ask him, you know, like, Hey, what's the most fucked up thing you've ever dealt with? You know, he tells me or whatever. And we have a pretty good conversation. I don't tell him anything about the little girl or whatever. And, um, Thanksgiving time comes around and I call this guy back. I don't know this SWAT officer very well. And I say, man, I remember we had this conversation and, and it was fucked up. And I was like, I got to tell you something, man. I, I don't know why I'm telling you, but I got to tell you something. And I tell him this story about this girl. And he says, well, I want to go over there and meet this guy too. Because he thinks it's fucked up. He thinks I may, maybe I missed something, but it, it doesn't add up. And he's at, you know, what would you ask, Drew? Right? What are the questions yeah. you would ask if I told you that story as a cop? Well, what what I, questions would you ask? Like, did he let you in? Did he did he search? I mean, did you run him? Did does he have a yeah. criminal history? Does yeah. he? Yeah. You know, who is this guy? And why? Right. Lots of, but it would not be like, oh, great job, Tansy. Great story. But you know what I mean? It would be more questions than answers. Right. So to finish up this story, he gets done with the case. And I didn't tell him I cried. I didn't tell him my emotions about the thing. I was very blunt with him. I was like, I don't know what to do with this. I don't know if I should go to a detective. I don't know if I should go to the CPS. I don't know what I should do. That was my conversation with this one. And he comes by 
and he gets done talking to him and we leave. And that's it. We leave about a month later. It's approaching Christmas time. And he and I get in a foot chase with some guy out of a Walmart and we catch the guy and we get him arrested and pass him on to whatever cops can take him to jail. And he goes, Hey man, you got a minute to talk. I said, I do. And he says, I, I want to go back. I want to talk to you about that girl. He says, when I left that house, this guy doesn't have any kids. He wasn't married. He said, when I left that house, um, he's like, man, I, I cried, dude. He's like, I was in tears when I left that house. And I said, dude, this is fucking crazy. I did the same thing. And he was like, what? And I was like, dude, I'm, I'm, I, I cried harder than I've ever cried in my whole life. And he says, dude, you can't tell anybody this. You promise? I said, dude, I promise. He's like, you swear to God? And I said, you don't. And he says, I want to buy her a Christmas. I want to buy that kid the best Christmas she's ever had in her whole life. And I said, dude, I do too. I do too. And he's like, all right, what are you doing tomorrow night? I said, nothing. He's like, dude, you, you want to meet me in XXX rally and, 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 uh, and let's go Christmas shopping. I said, sure. He said, but you won't tell anybody. I said, I swear to God, I won't tell someone. He said, if you do, dude, I will fuck you up. Right. And I was like, dude, you're a SWAT cop. I get it. And we go to this. Yeah, you got a reputation to protect. You can't be compassionate. Yeah, you can't do this. So we right. go to this. And then listen, a lot of cops have done this. I'm not, I'm not to my horn, but this story is important to what I'm about to tell you. And so he and I go and, and we go to this grocery, this, the Target or wherever the fuck it was. And we're debating on what kind of doll. Do we get her a black doll? Do we get her a white doll? Do we get her a black princess? Do we get her a white princess? We never even thought about these kinds of things. We don't have <laughs> right. daughters. Um, right. We're like, do, you know, what do you get a six-year-old? Does she like my little pony or is my, you know, what? so he and I are like, no, man, fuck that. Like that, that's an Asian doll. And he's like, motherfucker, this is like a half black, half white doll. And she's half black and she's half white. Let's get her the half one. I'm like, it's not half black, half white. That's a motherfucker. That's Pocahontas, dude. That's fucking Pocahontas. <laughs> like that's not a half black, half white chick. It's Pocahontas. He's like, no, it's not, bitch. Like, it's fine. You know, so, you know, we buy a stroller. We buy a baby doll. We buy all these fucking things, right? You know, and we don't tell anybody. I don't even tell my wife. Man. And so we, we take this girl and we have her above. We go to her house off duty. And we pick up this prostitute and we said, we, you need to have Christmas with your family tonight. You're not working the streets. We're going to give you whatever money you had that you were going to make sucking dicks today. And we take her back there and we give them a Christmas. We don't stay around. We just get them set up. We provide them Turkey, uh, yams, you know, all the shit, hundreds of dollars, m more money than I probably had spent on my own son at the time for Christmas. And we set them all up and we deliver her to this house and we fucking bounced, dude. We never talk about it. He and I had a rapping party for this thing, too. We had to go wrap these fucking gifts. Like two fucking street cops trying to rob gifts. <laughs> fighting each other every tooth and nail. Like, no, motherfucker. Like, have some discipline. Like, wrap it right. I'm like, this bitch doesn't care. She wouldn't even have a Christmas without us. Yeah, but it's about fucking discipline and doing things right. You know, just you know, all the things, right? You know? Yeah, you, you, go to, you go to cut the wrapping paper, and he's like... <laughs> Like he pulls out a knife out of his pocket. I yeah. Yeah. No, we were de definitely like my Gerber is like cutting the tape. You know, um, he like fuck this wrapping paper like off his pocket a couple of times, you know, but, you know, but we, we put together this whole thing and, and you know, it's fun because it's like, we go to the house, we bought a Christmas tree and, um, and now we're debating like, do we put the presents out that night before so that they wake up to this on the front porch? No, cause it'll get stolen. So now we got to pull this out. But you know, this whole time, we're doing this 89 year old man and we're like look dude like we don't want to spoil this for you we want to make it look like you did it because we don't want to 
we don't want to um, make it look like the white cops are coming in to save the day. That's not what this was about. So we we get with this guy and this guy's bawling his eyes out and he doesn't understand why we're helping <laughs> now him. Now he's crying. He's crying. And, and, he, and I said, like, look, this is going to be all of you. The thing is, we're going to pick her up and we're going to tell her. But we're not going to tell the little girl. The community's never going to know. The media will never know. Nobody will ever know this story. So you don't have to worry about it, dude. You don't have to fucking worry about it. You're going to save this little girl's Christmas and you're going to have her some shit. Now, this dude, 89 years old, didn't go to any missions, didn't go to anything because he was scared that he was going to get in trouble for having a little girl for four years that he couldn't explain. And that was what we learned with the SWAT cop when he and I both went. We're like, why haven't you told anybody? He's high. <laughs> like, I mean, yeah, you'll believe me. <laughs> you know, and and you could tell that this dude had fell in love with this little girl, and not in a sexual yeah, yeah, yeah. pedo sense, but you could tell that this guy was like, I needed her, she needed me. And when I asked him if he had a drink, he said, I haven't had a drink in you know since blah 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 blah. I haven't had a smoke since blah blah blah. And what what I got from that was that he probably had quit all that shit, um, you know, while he's raising this her. little girl. But the little girl wasn't in school, I don't think. I don't think she was in school or anything. And, you know, maybe that's a problem, but I, mean, I think he was really concerned about that, that he was working on it, but it's probably hard to get a girl in school and you don't have a mother and, and whatever. So, so we deliver this woman to the front porch on, on this Christmas day that we pick up um, off duty. Uh, there's no radio traffic. There's no GPS. And, and we drop her off on the front porch. I don't know if she went inside the house or not. I don't know. I don't know what she did there. I don't know. She didn't want to go. And I said she needed to go. And, and she needed to go for at least 30 or 45 minutes to make the, the Christmas complete. And so, and, and she asked if I, you know, give her a ride. And we did, you know. And, and so, it, but the point of that story is, is that cops will do things like this. And it doesn't mean it's nefarious. It doesn't mean I picked a woman up and raped her. It doesn't mean that I did anything for some kind of personal clout or, or anything. So because I was being secretive about this and I was secretive about my finances. I didn't tell my wife where that $300 went $400, whatever it was for the, for the shit. I didn't tell her. And I told my wife when she asked about the $300, I said, listen, you have to trust me on this. I can't tell you. And I'd love to tell you, but I can't tell you. I promise I made an oath that I would tell no one and I never told, tell, tell anybody. And so, you know, cops will often do things that are not by the book. And it's because we genuinely care for other people. And I know that you as a civilian are like, no, you do it for clout. You do it. There are officers that I preach about that are political police officers that poison the profession that will have a snowball fight on camera. And they will release it to the media. There are cops that will do things and release it to the media. Yeah. And that's not every fucking cop. I I can tell me, let me back you up on this a little bit, Eric. Well, first of all, you're an incredible pussy for crying, but second of all, (laughs) no, I'm I'm joking. But uh, second of all, this, this is what I'll, I'll say about that because I was, I was that guy also. Um, and I, that's why I fight so hard because that's the rule, not the exception. So every feel good story you see on TV of cops doing something just like this, that makes it to TV is probably maybe 10% of you don't see the other 90% of when cops do this. I I am telling you from the perspective of a guy who used to put shit like this together 
all the time because I'm telling you, I'm over compassionate. I'm, I, I get over invested in the community sometimes or the people that I, I just, I feel sorry for everybody. I wish I could take on everybody's problems. And sometimes I do. So I, I'm telling you as the guy that put this together and then worked my way up the chain, not by being the poisonous political police that was poisoning. The Obviously, because you got demoted several times. <laughs> yeah. Well, well just the once, but, but, uh, the th- but I never cried, Eric. So, um, <laughs> but the thing is, uh, I was I was now the guy instilling that in the people um, that I work with or better yet, just overseeing it because they were bringing it to me. Sometimes they were like, hey, look, we really didn't want to tell you what we were doing. But and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? You didn't want to tell I would have given you the 200 bucks to do it. Like, don't don't ever hold something like that back. Now, most of the time it was because. Well, we just didn't want the PIO to find out. We don't want this to become a photo op. We don't want this to become an opportunity. And, and quite frankly, the agency sometimes is starving for good publicity. Oh, dude, they, and, they're, they're fucking uh, right. so, horny for it. Yeah, they're horny for it. So, But but I, I am just telling, like, I, I think I've told the story on the show before, and I'll, I'll keep it very brief. I, I work with the gruffest uh, narc, you know, we served a search warrant at this, this, uh, house that it's just, it's the same story that you told in a sense that you just go in there and you just want to leave crying because it's just so horrible. These, you know, dope dealing parents and these cute little kids running around and they, you know, they're playing with fucking tin cans or empty cans, you know, thinking that this is the greatest toy in the world. And this cute little, you know, she's a little Mexican girl. She came up and and the the gruffest detective in the world that I worked with, um, you know, she's showing us her little tooth. And, (laughs) and by the way, uh, if anybody figures out who that detective has, he had a toupee, he had fake hair. Anyway, uh, he, he pulls a $20 bill out of his pocket and he looks at me and he goes, if you fucking tell anybody this, I will fucking kill you. You don't even tell this story at my fucking funeral. Yeah. And he, he, t- he calls that little girl over and he's like, hey, the tooth fairy. And he starts explaining what the tooth fairy is. Like, I've never seen this guy do anything nice ever. And he gives her fucking $20. Like, t- t- her parents haven't seen $20 since they sold a crack rock. You know what I mean? Right. And uh, th- this is what I'm saying. This is why I fight hard. This is why I try to tell the other side of the story. That's the rule, not the exception. You, you people, just exactly. like I said at the top of this, you're a pilot has to love to fly to be a pilot. A cop has to love to help to be a cop. And it doesn't matter if you, even if you're the limelight detective or the spotlight ranger on the police force, or you're the Eric Tansy that just goes out and does his fucking job very well, cries every once in a while, but is very compassionate. Uh, That's what we all share. We all share this, like, and you can't be sane you can't be robotic and just shut all of that off. You you can't not feel for this. If you find yourself in the hood, not feeling for that little girl, it's time to move on. It's yeah, time to go do something fuck, else. Dude, you're, you're a sick, sick fuck. fuck. But you know what? That officer by the book would say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't because they don't see that on their side of town. They don't, they don't have to feel sorry for people on the rich side of town. Like, I mean, like, cause they're just seeing different styles of crime. They don't see like real true devastation, you know, um, on the, on the playing fields that, that, that inner city street cops 
see on a daily basis. Like state troopers don't really encounter this kind of stuff because it's hard to encounter that kind of emotions on the side of the road. They do to an extent, but it's, it's different when you're in these people's lives, when you manage a beat, when you see these people day in and day out and you learn, you learn their names. So why is this important to the Daniel Holdsclaw case is because Daniel Holdsclaw is going to have every little incident just like the one I just told you used a completely against them. Everything that he ever did good was turned bad and every stop and everything he did was, was gone through by a fine tooth comb. And that's why this is going to take three parts because an officer by the book turned everything that he did, including reaching out to somebody on Facebook and they looked at it in the views of, well, you're a rapist, even though we have not proven that you're a rapist and that there's no DNA and that there's no history and that there's no, uh, there, there's nobody else. Like, you know, it's not like the Danny Perkins case where you have people who are like, yeah, he was pretty fucked up. Like, I'm not, I mean, I'm shocked that he went that far and that's disgusting. And certain, but, we, you know, we called him Dirty Dick Denny. You know what I'm saying? This guy didn't have a reputation like that. And so what they did is they looked at everything that he did and turned it into a possible rape scenario. And, and one incidence of the Facebook, which is, is there was two main factors in this case that got retarded to the jury that he was ultimately found guilty on. And it was because of a Facebook message, which was not sexual in nature and a Facebook a video, a phone call via Facebook that wasn't in nature. And that was because a woman had overdosed. A 17 year old had overdosed and was taken to the hospital and pleaded her guts out to this man that she wanted to change her life. And she wanted to go back to college. And he said, Hey, if you need anything, let me know. And they used that against him as one of the biggest factors in this case that we're going forward. And that's why it's important to me to let you know the culture of street cops and officer by the books, because street cops do a lot of things that cannot be explained. There's reasons why that cops turn in and they're not always nefarious, whether you want them to be nefarious or not. I cannot tell you how many times I've thrown somebody's keys out in the woods because I was too fucking lazy to do a DUI. And I knew it would, it would hurt the community rather than it would help the community. If I do a DUI right now at one o'clock in the morning on our busiest night, and I'm not on my beat for the next four hours, somebody will get shot and killed. But I also don't want this asshole driving down the street. So what I'm going to do is if he agrees to throwing his keys way under those woods where I know it'll take him fucking half the night to find them. And by the time he does find him, he'll be sober. Then it's not my problem. I didn't tie up the streets and somebody's not going to get killed on my beat. Yeah. But an officer by the book reported me one time for throwing keys out into the woods because they couldn't understand or they couldn't fathom that this could be a practice that's not a corruption. That's not some kind of me being an asshole to the community. And again, that's that's how this whole thing kicked off as well. This it whole was, thing it, kicks off with the exact problem that we're going to say so real quick into summarizing this chapter one is that the hood culture we have to finish hood culture really quick so i'm just going to take a brief time so that you understand police culture and you understand how the hood culture is a is, is a group of people and in, in the most impoverished part of town and they're in the ghetto and they all run the same criminal enterprises 
and we're talking about 12, 13 blocks and every major city has these and everybody knows them. And for whatever reason, we sympathize with these sides of town the most uh, because they are the most impoverished. But let's not forget that this little girl's mom chose to be a fucking hooker. I don't know what led her there, what disaster caused her to be a hooker. But at some point she said, fuck the world and I'm going to do this and fuck this little girl. She can go live with the guy that I don't even know. I'm going to do this and I'm going to pursue these drugs. And that's bad and that's sad, but that is a choice that she made. And so her whole life, what's more important to her is the crime. And it's bad. I'm not saying that she's a bad person, but she's doing crime every single day of her life. Well, and it's, it's a crime, crime that's more important than a yeah. little girl. Yeah, that's the crime. The, that the, calls the crime me to is pull my eyes out. Girl. Yeah, right, she exactly. chose this crime over that. So these whole the folks that live in the hood or trailer park or white trash people, whatever you want to, whatever you want to label bad people, but there are bad people in this world, and they they flock together and they do criminal shit together every day, and they have a system. When a man, when I am chasing a suspect, they don't know that that suspect just raped somebody or is wanted for a murder or a drive-by shooting that killed an eleven-year-old kid. That's another true story that I got in a yeah. foot chase with a man who had who had warrants for shooting shooting accidentally an 11 year old in a drive by shooting him in a foot chase and the hood is harboring him and cheering him on and making false 911 calls to distract us from where he is hiding because the hood works together and the hood are they are known to be liars and they are liars i once arrested an 11 year old child uh, who uh, there was a, a homicide on a street block that they, this 11 year old child found a body that had been there for about six days, rotted and decomposed. And the, the, the it was on my beat. It was on cross street. And the uh, detectives were baffled because everything about this person was soggy, wet, muddy. His face had been beaten in, but his socks were pearly white as if they had never been touched by the environment. And how could everything be disgusting and decomposed? and rained on and splashed on and muddied on, but his shoes were pearly white. And so they had put a reward out in the community for any information regarding why this man had brand new socks on. Well, guess who came out? An 11-year-old boy who said that he found the body and before he called 911, he took the shoes. Mm. So this is why the guy has pearly white socks on. And it caused chaos for the detectives because the same 11-year-old who reported the body also stole the shoes off the body. So even the 11 year old kids are in on this criminal mindset of let's steal first or let's get mine first mentality. And they're not trustworthy. And they do, they lie constantly. And every night we deal with their lies and we catch them in their lies. And these prostitutes and these rapists, these bleeding hearts of the world, which I'd argue I'm a bleeding heart, man. I fucking love yeah. human beings, man. I love to find the best and everyone. That's why I never failed a rookie because instead of trying to find the faults in the rookies, I always wanted to find where they were best in life. And I'm not tooting my own horn. I learned this from other cops who taught that to me. My training officer, did so many nice things. He spent more money on Bojangles biscuits for the homeless than I spent on fast food for my five, five children for the whole fucking year. These, they, these are good human beings that I learned these behaviors from. Hey, okay? I, I, I do want to clarify though, Eric. Yeah. You, you talk, let, let's just say 
demographic wise, we're talking about the box. We're talking about the hood. Talking so about ten, the box. I'm not talking okay, about black people. I'm talking right. about hood. So there are ten thousand people that live in that box. There are only about five hundred people that are doing exactly what you're talking about. They're, well, they're twelve blocks. Criminal. How many people are on twelve? Okay, 12 but that's what I'm saying. So out of ten thousand, maybe five hundred. Sure. So we're talking right. about. And we're not even we're talking, talking about five percent. Yeah. Right. So uh, when when you use a generalization like they they they, you're not talking about a hundred percent that live within that twelve no. block area. You're just talking about five percent, and yeah. and that's the five percent that we deal with. Therefore, every day, all day, and right. when we deal with the other ninety five percent, it's because that five percent has brought their bullshit to their front door. And that other, that other 95% does not necessarily support what we do because those who have come before us have mistreated that other 95% and their families and their families. Therefore, well, yeah, everybody's the got police a aren't, story. yeah, the, the police ne aren't necessarily trusted. Therefore, when we're investigating that 5%, the other 95% aren't going to necessarily be cooperative. So even also, though they're good yep. people. They're not necessarily cooperative with the police. They're not cooperative with the police. And and the, and the funny thing is, is that, you know, and I write this story in my book that we were canvassing literally for a real rape, for a real rape. And we got so many misleads from canvassing that the canvassing should never have even been done because people would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who did it. I know who did it. And you're like, who? And they're like, I saw da 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 And then you go and you talk to that person and you try to cooperate that. And you're like, this motherfucker was on a cruise. <laughs> like he was in, he went to DC for the week. He was at Myrtle right. beach for black bike week. Like, what, right. like we got pro, I got pictures on his Facebook of him in black bike week, but you know, but they had beef with so-and-so. And so like, can you imagine? And, and like, this is what the people, the civilians you can't understand is that in the hood, could you imagine for one minute, for one second, having a fight? Like let's say Andrea Uplay and I get in a, in a fight and then the cops call me about something else random. And I say, Oh, I know a bitch that's got like tons of heroin at her house. <laughs> she lives in Wilmington. You know what I'm saying? And like just completely lie on Andrea. And then the cops are like, oh, 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 okay. Well, let's go ahead. Just because they're one of the Like that's what kind of shit we deal with in the hood. And that is what hood life is all about. And if you want to understand a case like this, or if you want to be a community activist and you're really serious about it, if you're really serious about wanting to fix the hood, you must do a ride along on a Friday night with a street cop in the hood and, and 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 it has to be on night shift and it has to be in the hood and then you will understand because you will sit in the car and you will call me back and you will say eric why are there women pushing strollers with children in them at three o'clock in the morning in the most dangerous part of the city you didn't see that before because you were asleep in your rich fucking house and your uh you, you know your um your, your media, your middle class um, modular home. You don't see that because you're asleep by 10 o'clock, but you don't understand that the, the, the ghetto wakes up at 2 a.m. The hood wakes up at 2 a.m. The basketball courts are full at 2 a.m. Just and, as and it's important. Life and a part of society that you don't understand and you can't comprehend. And it's 90% criminal. They're not out there wearing all black hoods with black pants and black jackets and black shoes and black gloves in July because they're trying to make the community a better place. <laughs> right. Just you got that. You get the, the pastor on a ride along. That's kind of like, Geez, the, the, these people are walking in the street. It's pitch black out. She's pushing uh, a, uh, a stroller with a baby in it. It's pitch black out. We can barely see them in, until you come up on them. Why aren't these people like in a safer place? Well, one pastor, 
there are no street lights up and down the street and two, there's no sidewalk. So this is what they're saying. This is what they're saying that their their neighborhoods are neglected. Their areas are neglected. They don't have the same areas that we have, or they don't have sometimes the same opportunities that we have, or they don't have the same oh, and who's uh, the, infrastructure that we have. Or is that your fucking city manager and your city it's, mayor? This is exactly spend my all their point. money on votes by building right. fucking parks and YMCA's so and all this other bullshit. And they don't go down there and put the fucking lights because the black people don't show up to fucking vote in the hood. Why so the would we go put street lights in the hood, Drew, if they're not even going to vote? So the other 95% are angry because they're not being treated the same as everybody else. Like they may have the opportunity to move out of somewhere else or whatever, or maybe they don't. Maybe they just choose to live there because just like your 80 year old man, he's lived there for 50 freaking years, but it's, it's not always the, the balance isn't always equal. And, and there is, you know, resentment within the community and the police are sometimes the face of that community. Oh, well, absolutely the face. Cause we're the ones that are blamed. Why are you always in our neighborhood? Well, we're always in yes. your neighborhood because the fucking politicians won't bring some lights out here. The politicians won't take the graffiti out of the fucking uh, basketball courts and put hoops instead of chains up in this thing. They won't, you know, they won't provide you guys with anything that keeps you from doing fucking crime all day. And they won't put like there's a little stupid horse patrol down here to prevent crime because their horse patrol is front and center in downtown so that everybody can see them. And they've not made arrests in the last 25 fucking years. You know, it, it's, it gets me on a soapbox, Drew, and it pisses me off because this is the kind of shit that street cops are having to clean up. And they're the ones that actually give a fuck. And it's these yeah. by the book political police officers who won't go to the chief and say, no, 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 chief, you sat there in that briefing last week and you said, yeah, yeah, we definitely need a new fucking carousel at, at the North Hills, at the Northwoods shopping plaza uh, versus the fucking nets and basketball hoops and weightlifting areas and, and you know, the, the YMCA's that you don't have to check into and the, uh, the adult centers that, you know, doesn't take an act of Congress to get into and the hood. No, you, you sat there and you kissed the ass of the city manager because she's the one that's going to give you a fucking job. And she's only kissing the ass of those who are going to fucking vote for her. And here's the, here, here's to be frank with you, those fucking people in the hood that we're talking about on this show that we're talking about on the Danny Holtzclaw case will never go to the fucking polls and vote ever. They say no. they will on the media. They'll put fucking stickers on their car or on their fucking things. They'll never show up to vote because they won't wake up that early. Right. And when they do wake up they, they, pff, at fucking three o'clock in the afternoon, their first goal in mind is not to go head down because they've just smoked a whole bunch of fucking weed and they know there's going to be a fuck ton of cops around there. And that is just frankly speaking. So why would these politicians, why would your city managers, the ones that are stirring up the same shit with the cops, why why aren't they, uh, you know, trying to put these street lights in so that we don't have to go down there at three right. o'clock in the morning with the pastor and see some bitch walking her fucking child around at 3 a.m. That shouldn't be walking her kid around at 3 a.m. Anyway, the, the accusers that you're talking about also in the whole squad case, you can give them a one question survey. The one question survey would be, do you hate the police or do you love the police? Like, or, or what's <laughs> yeah. your feeling about the police, hate or love? And yeah. I'll go 99 to one hate. Yeah. Like it, it, because it, it is extremes. It's, it's not, there's no like, nah, I mean, you know, uh, this one time they came and they found my son, you know, it's extremes.
It's you either hate the cops or you love the cops. And the hood is going to work together no matter what. If the Crips and the, the, the Bloods have a case against the cops, guess who's going to unite? The Bloods and the Crips. And we've seen it done on many, many crime scenes. Um, I've told you the story where I was accused of murdering somebody even, you know, and, and it started a riot because they said I shot somebody when literally I just walked up on a dead body. And, and, and of course, my dash cam video and everything clears all of that. But I mean, for 30 or 45 minutes, you know, I was public enemy number one for the for the for the city because they're trying to start a riot saying that like, because one dude swore that he saw me shoot an innocent black person that was doing nothing when that was well, not the story at all. So the hood likes to stick together and the hood cannot tell the truth. Even when things aren't go like, even when there's no chance of them getting in trouble in the hood, in these gang infested areas and these crime ridden areas that are full of crack, hood, crack uh, prostitutes, crackheads and uh, druggies, and everything, they won't even tell you the truth when, when the truth won't hurt them. And it's like, hey, man, like you got some white sneakers on today? Nah, I I see no white sneakers today. No, no, dude, it's cool. Like I was just telling you, like I got the same pair of fucking donks that you do. Like I, those are dope. Nah, man, I ain't got, I ain't got no mm-hmm. donks. Oh, oh. I'm, I'm t- sir, I'm looking right at your fucking shoes. <laughs> nah, man, these these Adidas. <laughs> the fuck like you're, you're crazy dude but but you gotta understand that part and when we're j- jump into phase two of this coming next week and i'm gonna have some detectives on here and we're gonna look at it we're gonna we're gonna go into this case you have to understand that though this case has uh 36 counts and allegations and that sounds crazy and that he has to be guilty of one you will see that we go as we go through each one of these 36 counts there is more evidence, and I'm not being biased here. We're going to show you the evidence in this case that there is more evidence showing that he did not do that, i.e., video, i.e., GPS, i.e., AVL surveillance. Uh, I mean, AVL um, uh, GPS, the, GPS, yeah, the AVL, yeah, and yeah. surveillance from other sec- uh, security cameras from neighboring things. There is so much proof that this guy did not do this. Yet, because of the teamwork of the hood, because of the misinformation given to now, now listen, if you've made it this far in the podcast, let me end this by saying that if you go and you look back, in 2016, 2017, at every single headline in this case, it will say vaginal DNA, vaginal DNA, vaginal DNA was found. Bombshell news, vaginal DNA was found. Now, this rumor made it all the way to the jurors. When in court, if you look at the trial, if you listen to the trial, if you listen to the biologist who says in the trial, unfortunately, there yeah. is no vaginal DNA. Unfortunately, no, she said shows that, unfortunately it, it was uh, it was the buckle swab. Did you did you find right. any of Mr. Holt's claws DNA in her mouth? And she said, unfortunately, no, unfortunately, what the fuck no. do you mean? Unfortunately. And we go through the trial and we'll show you in the trial where the biologist even explains touch DNA, which touch DNA is not vaginal DNA. And matter of fact, the only thing that retarded the jury in this case that retarded the media and the media ran with it was that they asked, well, could it have been vaginal DNA? Well, there's no way to know because it was touch DNA. Touch DNA can come from an eyeball. It can come from a finger. It can come from spit. It can come from earwax. It can come from sweat. It can come from 
I mean, a million different things touch DNA can come from anything. So like, I mean, I mean, yes, it can, it can come from vaginal DNA, but it can also come from you grabbing um, a Gatorade bottle that they'd been sipping on um, and unscrewing said bottle and sniffing it for fucking alcohol. So what does the media do in this case? They run out and say bombshell news, vaginal DNA found on a person. Well, that was the only that was the only evidence in this whole case. And we're going to break down every single witness. We're going to every single story. We're going to go into such brain sucking detail. We're going to talk about the detective and you're going to see throughout this case that there is so much overwhelming evidence that this man could be innocent. And I never do this guys. Go back and listen to our 300 episodes. Listen to an episode that I say somebody is innocent. I don't even say Derek Chauvin. I never said Derek Chauvin. I said Derek Chauvin was guilty. I said that Uvalde cops could be guilty. I don't know. I've said I don't know if I don't know. But I will tell you right now, with the evidence that I've seen, all of the evidence, the totality of the evidence, I sat and watched the trial. I was watching it again this morning for the sixth, seventh time. I watched every psychologist break this down from every single angle, from, from the prosecutor side to the defense side. Um, and I think this is going to be an important case for us to cover for the next two, two or three weeks. Give me the last word since I'm not going to be here next week. I, I will be out of town. Uh, Eric is uh, going to carry this forward. Let me, let me just paint the picture for you. Uh, 21 accusers. They could only use the word of 13 of them first off. So bear that in mind. But second, here's the picture I want to paint. Eric just told you a story about how, everybody started accusing him of shooting and killing somebody and his dash cam. All you had to do is review the dash cam and boom, he's cleared. Like, no, I never even took my gun out of my holster. Now imagine Eric going through all of that and they bring him down to question him and they start playing detective games with him. And he knows he never took his gun out of his holster. He knows his dash cam will clear him. So he's just sitting there confidently in the interview and they are starting to turn on him and they're like, uh, yeah, well, we found a shell casing. We found a shell casing in your car and it matches your footprint. And, and, you're, and, and Eric's thinking, what the fuck is going on here? Are you guys crazy? You're going to listen to what they're telling you instead of acting like true investigators and police officers and work to listen to me and clear me from, from something I didn't do. And that's the lens that we're looking at this case from. It's, it's, it's an unbelievable uh, accusation or set of accusations that they work to prove were true, as opposed to just saying, well, maybe this cop is telling the truth. So again, I ask you, when you watch this, you watch Eric's uh, segment next week with the detective, who is the bad cop in this scenario? That's all I got. All right, guys. Hey, this has been chapter one of the Danny Daniel Holtzclaw case. It's going to get crazier from here. We've got courtroom testimony to play for you, and we're not going to cherry pick. I'm not going to cherry pick. I'm going to show you the things that that make him may may appear to be guilty, and the things that I'm not going to cherry pick. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not doing a documentary. I don't care to clear. I don't know this man, but we're going to get really into it, and we're going to go through the totality of this case. 
next week until then guys thank you for everything and listen we got a lot of super chats intellectual iconoclasm i know i've missed every super chat nightkin brought in a super chat um, also thanks to ghost bed oh man <laughs> ghost bed um thank god i'm wearing the ghost bed shirt today and we have the ghost bed sign for it um and, and listen guys you know the spiel about ghostbed.com forward slash wolfpack i'm gonna make sure that we even give them a better one uh, next week for for uh for ad reads but um uh thank you guys seriously for for backing us up on this case this has been a stressful week for drew and i as we went to break down this case and we thought the only best way that we could do this today is really have this discussion first before we can really get into the nuts and bolts because if you don't understand police culture and you don't understand hood culture you cannot understand this case so until next time safe travels to the easy breezy beautiful drew breezy we'll see you guys guns up giddy up Arr.